You are listening to a Hippily Horror Stories Patreon bonus preview. If you like what you're hearing, stick around to the end to find out how you can get more. Hey guys, welcome to episode 924 of Hippily Shorts. Seriously? Seriously what? Hey, everybody. You're the one that weren't paying attention. Well, I thought you would say I was ready. <laughs> you turd. <laughs> Alright, so we got more horrifying stories. Yay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you going to be able to tolerate these? I don't know, babe. I don't like them. They're terrible. The Lake Nyos Disaster, 1986. Unbeknownst to residents of the area around Lake Nyos in Cameroon, a limnic eruption in August 1986 sent as many as 1.5 million tons of carbon dioxide into the air. Caused by a volcanic eruption or earthquake that shifts the ground, the rare natural disaster killed more than 1,700 people as well as thousands of livestock within a 15-mile radius of the lake. One survivor, Ephraim Nagongkum, described people dying, people dead all around him, while another man, Chia David Wambong, he recalled, everyone started to cough and some people vomited blood. I saw people on the ground screaming. Everyone was crying. Mm. This gentleman, um, Joseph Naquan's account, said, I could not speak. I became unconscious. I could not open my mouth because then I smelled something terrible. I heard my daughter snoring in a terrible way, very abnormal. When crossing to my daughter's bed, I collapsed and fell. I was surprised to see... My trousers were red and had some stains like honey. I saw some starchy mess on my body. My arms had some wounds. I didn't really know how I got these wounds. I wanted to speak. My breath would not come out. My daughter was already dead. Oh my gosh. I managed to go over to the neighbor's houses. They were all dead. I got my motorcycle. As I rode through Nios, I didn't see any sign of any living thing. I was unable to walk, even to talk, but my body was completely weak. I wonder how he survived that. I don't know. That's what I was sitting there thinking on how he survived. But, I mean, think about this. That's something you see from a movie. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, you know, that's not something... I know we went and saw A Quiet Place too, mm-hmm. and it's like they were going around, all the cars were just parked, and, there was, and it's like, God, could you imagine? And then when you think about it, something happened in that town where basically all this carbon dioxide was put out into the air, which is just like you having a carbon dioxide leak in your house or something, except this happened over an entire city. 15-mile radius. All these 1,700 people died in a 15-mile radius because this naturally occurred in the earth and just happened. That's scary. That's very scary, and it's, it's just really unbelievable. I mean, what do you do when you go out and see there's nobody else alive, and it's just you? Oh, my. Mm. The Life and Death of Hajj Muhammad Masfui, 1906. Hajj was a serial killer who, in 1906, was charged with the deaths of 36 women. The cobbler and public letter writer, he wrote missives for people who were illiterate and had an accomplice, a woman by the name of either Anna or Rahali. I guess they're not sure. 
Together, they drugged and killed their victims and buried their remains underneath near, uh, or near Nesfui's workshop. So there are a couple of places where they buried these bodies. Once their crimes were discovered, Anna was reportedly tortured to death while Miss Fuey was sentenced to death by crucifixion. That's in 1906. Later, his sentence was changed to immurement or being walled in alive. Before that, he underwent daily torture. Whipped with switches of thorny acacia, stripped to the waist, and while two assistants held the victim's arms outstretched, the city executioner laid on the spike rods. Ten strokes were given each day, and each stroke drew blood. After each flogging, the cobbler's back was toughened and anointed with vinegar and oil. The daily whippings went on, and when it was seen that Miss Fuey was falling into exhaustion, it was decided to carry out the supreme sentence. He was chained to the recess of a wall where the public threw animal waste at him. Masons then put down stones up to Miss Fuey's head. He was given water and bread and then entombed. For days, crowds listened to him scream, even yelling back at him at times. After he finally succumbed, it was said that people were disappointed that he met his end so soon. Well, you do the crime, it's what happens. That's incredible. Yeah. So what do you think? As bad as yesterday's or? I think they're all horrible. They are. They're 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 just horrible. horrible. They're all horrible. There's no doubt about that. We need some nice stories. Let's do the other one. Let's do this next one. The Attack of the Dead Men, 1915. The so-called Attack of the Dead Men refers to events that took place during the Battle of Osevitz Tower on August 6, 1915. German forces hurled two poison gases, bromine and chlorine, that's probably bromine, bromine and chlorine, at their Russian counterparts. Both gases irritate the respiratory system, and when mixed, they form a toxic acid. The Russian troops did not have protective gas masks, and they resorted to clothes to cover their face. This did little to stop the men from coughing up blood as the as the gas or as the grass turned black all around them. Russian soldiers did not immediately surrender. They would later in August, but rather embraced anger and fury as they headed toward their prisoners, the Germans. All the German forces saw were Russian men with acid-burned faces covered in blood charging at them. According to an eyewitness, the men advanced with the sole purpose of crushing the Germans in what was also been described as the attack of the corpses. Oh, oh my God. So what, after they attacked them, they just dropped dead? No, I guess they just... I guess I'm sure some of them probably died. Oh, man. They are hardcore back in the day. So these are cool stories. Mm. So, yeah. All right, guys. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. Hey, guys. Welcome to episode 925 of Hillbilly Shorts. Hey, everybody. Tracy, this is back to the horrifying stories that you absolutely hate. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> 
How many times this week do I have to be horrified? I don't know. All right, cool. Some reason though, my page got lost here. Freddie, oh, it's when Freddie jumped up here. He threw everything off. All right, the Hinterfeck murders of 1922. Now we've talked about this before on the show when we did our axe murder uh, theory that so many were connected. The Hinterfeck murders involved the unexplained deaths of six men and women at a Bavarian farm in 1922. Andreas Gruber, his wife Kazilia and their daughter, Victoria Gabriel, were slain alongside Victoria's two children, Casilla and Joseph, as well as the family's maid, Maria Baumgartner. And she was only the maid for like a couple of days. Aww. And she had reported hearing noises that she thought the house might have been haunted. Well, that's Anyways. just horrible already. After the younger Casilla, age seven, didn't show up to school in April 1922, and the entire family missed church soon after, Neighbors became somewhat concerned as to their whereabouts. Andreas, disliked by most people who knew him, was found dead in the barn along with the bodies of his wife, daughter, and granddaughter. The bodies of the maid and two-year-old Joseph were discovered in the home. An investigation into the mysterious murders led authorities to several suspects, everyone from a local robber who had escaped a mental hospital to the family's closest neighbor. The case today Still remains unsolved. You're kidding. No, and every one of them were killed with an axe. <gasps> they didn't say that in here, but that's the... Oh. I don't know how that didn't make it into the story, but that's what happened. And they were stacked, trying to go on memory here, they were stacked neatly next to each other, and I think they had been dressed like their clothes had been put on, or I don't know. It was just... It's that some, is just yeah. awful. Oh, the Moorgate so Tube Crash, 1975. 43 people lost their lives in the deadliest accident to ever take place on the London Underground. On the morning of February 28, 1975, a train carrying 300 passengers approached Moorgate Station but didn't slow down. It was traveling between 30 and 40 miles per hour with Leslie Newson at the controls. At 8.46 a.m., the six-car train, I'm sorry, the six-car train slammed into the overrun tunnel, which was a dead end. What? And invest- How did they not know it was a dead end? Well, I mean, I guess they knew. It just maybe, I don't know. I guess we'll find out more as we read, maybe. An investigation later revealed that the brakes had not been applied, and Newson, in front of the train, made no move to stop the collision. The first two cars, and most of the third, were crushed upon impact. The station went black, as described by survivor Javier Gonzalez. A darkness came, there was a very loud noise, metal and glass breaking, no screams, all in the fraction of a second one takes to breathe in. It was all over in no time. When emergency personnel arrived, they reportedly found a carriage half at platform and a half into the tunnel, but on a slant up into the ceiling. As firefighters and other first responders went deeper into the tunnel, they looked for individuals trapped in the debris. Don Pye, a photographer from the London Fire Brigade, captured images of the scene and later described it. In one doorway, there was a row of businessmen, some still with their briefcases, standing as they would have been, waiting for the train to stop. 
but all dead. Oh my gosh. Emergency workers spent six days looking for survivors while the crash was eventually attributed entirely to the behavior of Motorman Newsom during the final minute before the accident occurred. No motive or reason was ever found. So, I mean, maybe he fell asleep. Maybe he was distracted. This was uh, what year again, 1975, so there were no cell phones or tablets or internet to keep you preoccupied. So, Man, that is, that's just heartbreaking. That's awful. Surely to God he did not do that on purpose. No, well, you know, you, you, I almost said, well, you know, no, he wouldn't have, but you don't know what somebody's situation was. We don't know what his frame of mind or any of that was. Man. Because I would imagine... He was one of the guys that was killed. Oh, well, he had to be. So, how can you even talk to him? Everything's speculation. Hmm. Yucky. The disappearance of Bobby Dunbar in 1912. While on a fishing trip with the parents and brother in August 1912, four-year-old Bobby Dunbar vanished. Percy and Leslie Dunbar lived in Louisiana with their children, and in the immediate days following their son's disappearance... They alerted authorities, but a search revealed very little. A reward was offered, but it wasn't until eight months later that someone saw a little boy resembling young Bobby in Mississippi. The man who had the boy in his care, William Cantwell Walters, was arrested. Bobby's parents were reunited with their child, but they weren't sure if it was him. The would-be Bobby didn't seem sure if Percy and Leslie either. Ultimately, Bobby was taken home to the Dunbars, met by a grand parade and countless well-wishers upon their return to uh, Louisiana. For his part, Walters identified the boy as Bruce Anderson, his illegitimate nephew. The boy's mother, Julia, confirmed it was, in fact, her son. Walters was put on trial for kidnapping at the media, speculated about whether or not the young boy was Bobby or Bruce Walters, was convicted of a crime and spent years in jail while, quote-unquote, Bobby was raised by the Dunbars. In 2004, relatives of Julia Anderson and the would-be Bobby Dunbar took DNA tests to finally solve the mystery. The results revealed that Bobby was, in fact, Bruce. It's still not known what happened to the real Bobby Dunbar. So, follow me on this. The parents have their four-year-old boy missing, assumed kidnapped. Somebody says, hey, I think I saw that little boy with this man. They arrest him and take the little boy and give them to his parents. He says, no, that's not the kid you're looking for. That's my my niece's, you know, or my nephew. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, you're wrong. So they give him back, this family, and they convict him for kidnapping this kid. And now years later, they do a DNA test to find out that that was exactly who he said it was. It was his nephew. So that four-year-old kid was still missing. Nobody knows what happened to them. This guy went to jail. I mean, probably died there. Oh, so you didn't get out? Oh, you don't know? I don't know, but it was 30 years later before they found out it wasn't him. So, I mean, I don't know how old the guy was at the time. He might have been 25 or 30. I mean, there's no tellings. I don't know what happened to the guy, according to this, but that's a crazy story. Well, how how do they not know who their kid is? I mean, they should know that that was... Well, I don't... Did the story say how long it was in between? Because it was 1912 when the four-year-old kid was missing. It was eight months later. It was only eight months. Okay, you should know what your kid looks like. 
So the kid wasn't sure that was his parents. They weren't sure that was his kid, but everybody just ignored all that. Okay, how can you not know that's your kid? How can you not know this? I don't know. I guess maybe you're just grieving so much that you just want that to be your kid and that that's any similarities at all. Oh, my gosh. That is really crazy. And he spent all that time in prison. I don't know how long he spent there, but Mm. he was convicted and spent there. That's messed up. And then that, that woman lost her kid, too, because they took them from them to give to these parents. Yeah. Yeah, that's messed up. All right, guys, sleep on that. We'll talk to you tomorrow. All right, bye, guys. Hey, guys, if you like what you just heard, we do six of those small bonus episodes every single week. We also do two full-length bonus episodes every month. We do a listener stories episode and then a story that's just like the ones you would typically hear on the regular feed. If you're interested in supporting us on Patreon, just go to patreon.com and look up Hillbilly Horror Stories or go to hillbillyhorrorstories.com and there's a direct link right there. Thank you guys so much for what you do for us.